Though reality reveals that God hates the poor, can he love them instead? Can God love? All Western religions, including secular religions such as humanism, state that God is love and that love is the greatest virtue. But do either of these popular statements withstand critical analytical examination? Not really. This hype about love, especially by religions, primarily serves as an attempt to keep the poor happy in their misery and the working class in their place. In my reading of history, in any reading of history, love such as love of country, power, money, tribe, and even love of family and love of justice have caused much more evil and suffering in the world than hate. Hate seems to have rational limits. Few, if anyone, would risk their life for hate, but almost all who have or who can love would risk their life and that of others and outright kill others for the love of whatever it is they love. Hate may make you a serial killer of 30 to 40 people, but love will make you a patriot willing to kill 3 to 4 million. Love is not by necessity a good. That conclusion seems to depend on what you love. Love of power supposedly is bad, but it is what drives human culture so pragmatically it may be called a good. Capitalism considers it an economic good. Loving your neighbor as yourself is supposedly a good, but what about the first necessary premise of that command, love yourself? From this expression, in order to love your neighbor, you must first love yourself, which seems to be true about reality. However, self-love seems to be one of the most harmful evils that has caused just as many atrocities as love of power, if not more. Then again, without self-love, humans would have died out millennia ago. It is the ability to love oneself blindly, regardless of any faults, and thus hope for a better life that allows the poor and working class to survive its miseries and the ridicule of the powers around them that constantly try to demean their life. Supposedly, according to women at least, love and sexual love are distinct, and being addicted to the first is good, but being addicted to the latter is bad. You'll have to ask a female philosopher to explain that difference. What a mess this love uh, issue is. In order to determine if God can love, we must first define love. We must first see if we can ontologically define love, especially insofar as that word is used in respect to God. Self-love, just as consciousness and my existence, is one of the few items in the set of truths that are ontologically certain, and thus that we can ontologically, not just pragmatically study, through reason. As long as we exist and are conscious, regardless of what reason may say, we know self-love. The commandment to love your neighbor as yourself is more of an attempt to get humans to reduce their self-love than to raise their love of others. There is no doubt as to the existence and strength of self-love. So start by contemplating and defining self-love to see through the cultural and social smokescreen created Intended to hide self-love as a virtue for the working class and to replace it with all sorts of hype such as God is love or love is life in order to keep the poor and working class in their place. The most basic elementary requirement of a person having self-love for the use of the word love is that the person wants to exist and wants to continue existing. Love is an act of will saying I want to exist and want to continue existing. 
This does not seem to do it, though. If I want to exist living as a heroin addict on the streets of New York, earning money by being a prostitute, the conclusion would not be that I love myself, but the exact opposite, that I have self-hate and I'm trying to destroy myself. Just wanting to exist would not give much meaning to the expression, love your neighbor as yourself. If I want to live as a prisoner in North Korea and want the same for my fellow humans, again, the implication is that I neither love myself nor my neighbor. Love seems to demand more than just existence. Our present American culture would say that this more that love demands in order to be love is individual happiness that we want a happy life for ourselves, and thus when we love others, it also means that we want a happy life for them. Uh, that seems to be nonsense and is modern cultural phenomena. For much of the world, individual happiness is not a possibility, never was, and never will be. That is why we're asking the question that we are asking. Yet, uh, all these people that really have no hope for happiness in life are still able to both love themselves and love others. There's more to life than happiness, as expressed, for example, by the eight points of the medieval knight's Maltese cross and by many other moral standards. Uh, in relation to the knights, the life goals of a loving person are supposed to be truth, faith, repentance, humility, justice, mercy, fortrightness, and suffering. Of course, these eight virtues only have power and meaning because the knights expressed, expected happiness in the afterlife after giving up on happiness in this life. So we're, we're back to the point that perhaps this additional element is happiness, a uh, want or hope for happiness. Some philosophers, for example, someone such as Thomas Aquinas, have in fact concluded that, that love consists of a desire to exist, to con continue existing, and to want happiness, happiness consisting of an afterlife with God. So as to the elements that define self-love, can they be defined as a desire to exist, to continue existing, plus a hope for happiness? Uh, I do not think so. The greatest love is the love of one who sacrifices their life for another, such as the soldier who falls on a hand grenade to suffer the entire blast and die so that others may live. This act of love most certainly did not demand a desire or hope for happiness in this life, and it is not clear it demanded or required a hope or belief for a happy afterlife. In the ancient world, the Greeks believed in an afterlife that consisted not of an attorney of happiness with a loving God, but with Hades, uh, what we call hell, a life after death in which souls simply existed in a peaceful, meaningless sleep, unaware of any past or future or anything else. Despite such a dismal afterlife, this view did not stop the Greek warriors at the Battle of Thermopylae from sacrificing their lives to try to save their tribe. Actually, those so-called pagans, with their belief in the Hades, our hell, apparently had more love, at least for their tribe, than modern Christians have either for their God or for fellow Christians, given the way modern Christianity allows the modern warrior religion of Islam to tramp around the world killing Christians and trying to trample out Christianity. So maybe the third element that defines love is not a desire for individual happiness, but a desire for the happiness of others. This would make some sense and explain a lot, 
because as rational beings, we know that the individual dies and always will die. Any hope for humanity to continue must be for humanity to continue, not the individual to continue, which is impossible. But now we're reversing ourselves on the logic. Uh, love of neighbor cannot come first and cannot define self-love. As even the Christian commandment admits, in order to love your neighbor, you must first love yourself. And ontologically, we know this must be the case. Uh, we have to stay focused on the ontological nature of the knowledge we are seeking. I only have true knowledge of my own existence. Everything else could be a figment of mine or God's imagination, as we discussed in the Truth or Illusion podcast. Love of neighbor must start with love of self. In order to define love, we first have to define and understand what love of self is. So back to square one. Love of self, we now know, involves at least wanting to exist and to continue existing, the desire to continue existing, plus a desire for something more. The something more is the open issue. This something more is not only the final element that defines love, but is also the element that, from the social perspective, makes it good or bad. And, in the case of self-sacrifice love, seems to be able to negate the first two requirements. The only characteristic that I can contemplate of myself that would satisfy these purposes is meaning. Self-love is the will to exist, the will to continue existing, plus the hope that my existence has meaning. If I find a meaning for an existence, for my existence, so that that hope becomes real instead of just being hope, then the first two elements can be negated and I can fall on the hand grenade to save my comrades as an act of love. To love our neighbor as ourselves is to want them to exist, to continue existing, and for their lives to have meaning. If we decide on what that meaning is, it can negate the first two requirements. Therefore, just as with self-sacrifice, at that point, love will allow us to want to kill and to actually kill our neighbors as an act of love. Ontologically, then, love is the will to exist, to continue existing, plus the will or hope that our existence has meaning. Love of neighbor or love of money is all really the same ontologically, regardless of whether ethics or morality cause one good or the other evil. This definition may not be very romantic or live up to the hype that love seems to have in popular culture, but that does not make it any the less true, nor powerful. It is powerful enough for a person to sacrifice his own life for others. It is also powerful enough for a person out of life, out of love, to sacrifice others for that love. What about hate? What is hate? Before we decide whether God can love the poor, I want to go on to define hate and then also see if there's a third option, just as there is with morality, uh, being amoral. Is there a third option between love and hate?